0: Welcome to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Across the United States, COVID 19 is once again on the uptick, infecting and killing many who are the most vulnerable. More than 16 million cases have been confirmed in the United States, according to Johns Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Center, at the time that this show was recorded. The United States is now counting more than 100,000 cases a day as the virus surges across the country. And the deaths are over 300,000 in the United States. And in some parts of the country, ICUs are uh, running out of beds. One sector of society that is getting hard hit by COVID-19, but not getting much attention is US prison population imprisoned people, along with frontline workers and communities of color, are extremely vulnerable to the deadly virus and are being severely impacted by it. The United States currently has the largest incarcerated population in the world, with about 2.3 million people in jails and prisons across the country, this according to the Prison Policy Initiative. More than half of that, nearly 1.3 million Uh, people in prisons do not have the ability to socially distance or to take the sanitary measures needed to slow the spread of the virus. The effects of cramped and unsanitary cells have been disastrous across the country. An incarcerated person who is fighting for their life is Russell Maroon Schultz. Now, Russell Maroon Schultz is suffering from stage 4 cancer and COVID-19, but the Pennsylvania Department of Corrections will not release him. Today on Sojourner Truth... We bring you audio from a recent webinar entitled, We Are Maroon, a teach-in for Russell Maroon Shows." The webinar, which was dedicated to showing solidarity with Russell, featured a wide range of speakers. They include Kempis uh, Ghani, song star of the Amistad Law Project, Mike Africa Sr. of the MOVE organization, Dr. Gene Schneider, Robert Salim of Holbrook, Robert Salim Holbrook of the Abolitionist Law Center, and Lavinia V, a human rights activist and counselor. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women Communities of color and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now, for our news headlines
1: I'm Max Pringle with these headlines the u s has recorded its first case of a new variant of the coronavirus first detected in the u k The virus has been found to be more contagious but not necessarily more deadly. It's been found in a Colorado man who'd not been traveling. That has triggered a host of questions about how the first U.S. case of the new version showed up in Colorado. New variant infections are soaring now in Britain. The new variant has also been found in several other countries. Colorado officials are expected to provide more details at a news conference today about how the man in his 20s from a mostly rural area outside Denver came down with the variant. Experts say the vaccines being given now are thought to be effective against it. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell on Tuesday blocked a swift vote on a $2,000 COVID stimulus payment to most Americans proposed by President Trump and backed by the Democratic-led House. The GOP leader signaled an alternative approach that links Trump's demand for aid with restrictions the president wants on tech companies and for a new commission to review the election results. The appeal for a bigger check came after President Trump signed a $900 billion stimulus package that featured $600 payments. Many Senate Republicans oppose the increase, citing the price tag. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer says he doesn't buy it. I
2: don't want to hear that we can't afford it. I don't want to hear that it would add too much to the deficit. Senate Republicans added nearly $2 trillion to the deficit, to give corporations a massive tax cut.
1: Mitch McConnell says the Senate will begin a process to address the issues, but the next steps are highly uncertain, and it's quite possible no bill passes. Britain has authorized another vaccine for emergency use. This one was developed by Oxford University and AstraZeneca. The first green light Wednesday for the shot, dubbed the vaccine for the world, brought a measure of hope that the pandemic could be brought under control. More from Future Story News' is Chris Jones in London.
3: The UK has ordered 100 million doses of the Oxford vaccine, which is planned to be rolled out from January 4th. Prime Minister Boris Johnson said the authorization of the new vaccine was a triumph and that the government will now do its best to vaccinate as many people as quickly as possible. This comes a day after 53,135 people tested positive for COVID-19, a record number of daily cases since the beginning of the pandemic. This new vaccine, unlike Pfizer-BioNTech's, can be stored at fridge temperature and so will be easier to deliver to the likes of care homes and GP surgeries. Chris Jones, London.
1: Meanwhile, India has extended a ban on travel from the United Kingdom after more cases of a new coronavirus strain were identified in the country. Feature Story News' is Sriyashi Mukherjee reports from New Delhi.
4: India's civil
0: aviation minister announced that the country will be extending the temporary suspension of flights to and from the UK till the 7th of January, after which the flights between the two countries will resume in a strictly regulated manner. This decision came after more cases of a fast-spreading variant of COVID-19 were detected, bringing the total number to 20. Last week, India decided to suspend flights to and from the UK to try and limit the spread of the new virus strain. The Indian Health Ministry said that the situation is under careful watch and regular advice is being provided to the states for enhanced surveillance and containment.
1: Louisiana Congressman-elect Luke Letlow has died from complications related to COVID-19 only days before the 41-year-old Republican would have been sworn into office. His spokesman confirmed the Congressman-elect's death Tuesday night. Dr. Paul Offit, a Food and Drug Administration Advisory Committee member, told CNN that Letlow's relative youth shows that COVID-19 is dangerous for anyone. I think we
5: work with a lot of denialism in this country. We assume that it's never going to happen to us or it's never going to happen to someone that we love until it does happen. And I think um, it's always sobering. You know, we're not helpless here. We can wear masks and social distance and do the best we can. And often we don't do that. So it's just it's really heartbreaking.
1: The incoming congressman was elected in a December runoff and was set to take office in January. He was admitted to a Monroe hospital on December 19th after testing positive for the disease. He was later transferred to Auctioner LSU Health Shreveport and placed in intensive care where he died. I'm Max Pringle. You're listening to Sojourner Truth on Pacifica Radio.
0: This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth, and those were our news headlines. And now we kick off our Sojourner Truth special on Russell Maroon Schultz. During today's program, you will hear presentations by a diverse panel of campaigners and a webinar entitled, We Are Maroon, a teaching for Russell Maroon Schultz. They include Ghani Songster of the Amistad Law Project, Mike Africa Senior of the MOVE organization, Dr. Jean Schneider, Robert Salim Holbrook, of the Abolitionist Law Center, and Lavinia V, a human rights activist and counselor. Let's hear from them now.
4: Hi, so I'm Cicely Lavinia, AKA V. And
2: and I'm Kempis Ghani Songster. Welcome everybody. We're very pleased and honored that you are joining us this evening for a virtual teaching uh, for Russell Maroon Schultz. But we'll take a dive into the issues of COVID-19 behind the walls as it affects vulnerable elders and other vulnerable people, but specifically our political prisoners like Russell Maroon Schultz. Um, Think about what you just heard. Think about what he's going through. It's uh, really heart-wrenching. But we're here to lift up what we can do to affect change on his behalf and on behalf of those who are suffering egregious human rights abuses in this time of pandemic behind prison system.
4: And tonight we want to, we have to emphasize the importance and the urgency of the situation. Our brother Maroon has stage four cancer and COVID-19. So tonight We've had, we have people from all over, and we especially want to thank our participants for coming at short notice because they have the understanding that we need to get this information out here because we need Maroon released now. We're not asking them to take care of him anymore. He does not need to be there. We need him released now. So tonight, we want to share with you um, some of the information that we have, some of the things that we can do. And some of the things that you know have, are actually being worked on right now, so we're going to start off and get into um, the health discussion first. And uh, Brother Ghani is going to go and lead you into that about the diseases and illnesses that are lingering behind the walls.
2: Yes, thank you, thank you. Um, and so we have with us tonight to talk about. As we dive into this health segment, we're going to be having a conversation with Mike Africa Sr. Mike Africa Sr. is one of the original MOVE 9, one of the MOVE 9. Fortunately, Mike is now home with the rest of the living members of the MOVE 9. Mike and I personally did a lot of time together, and uh, we would commiserate with each other as we struggled for better diet, cleaner water behind the walls. And what is important about this the diet and the water piece is how even the the, the diet itself and the water contributed to you know people being immunocompromised behind the walls, you know, before COVID-19 even hit. You know, Russell Maroon shows, as V mentioned, has stage four cancer. He survived prostate cancer and a lot of times we don't even connect the role that prison diet plays and the water plays and the diseases that people catch behind the walls mike remember you know at at greater ford the prison that uh, that we left from from year to 1970 uh 1991 till 2017 over 600 people had died in that prison mike you know i want to talk to you about the role that You know, you think diet plays and water plays in the immunocompromised state that a lot of people find themselves in behind the prison walls.
5: Yeah, so that was uh, heart-wrenching to listen to Maroon in his Mm -hmm. own words talk about his suffering. Um, I'm out here right now with Chuck, who is in the same situation, who spent 42 years behind behind bars uh, unjustly. And he's battling, you know, the same thing as the Delbert, who's succumbed to cancer uh, shortly after he was released. Uh, Merle, uh, 1998, um, filled in 2015. Mumia fell ill. Uh, I fell ill. Um, you know, and diet and water is directly linked. Um, the ones who are surviving COVID now, um, they say how crucial it is for those people not to have any preconditions uh, for them to survive. Um, if you're in a state like Maroon is, you know, it's especially crucial that he gets the nourishment he needs to battle that disease. Um, that they don't give it to them is um just some cruel cool stuff man and you know they know it um, water um you know if if you're in a hospital man you know you have to get the the best nutrition you have to get the best diet you have to get the best nourishment to battle anything you're facing or is going to be exacerbated By that lack of nourishment, you know, um, I myself became anemic, and they're trying to eat, and I was I was working in the kitchen, you know, and still became anemic, um, because I wasn't getting the uh, nutrition I need, you know, and um, uh, yeah, it's just it's just crucial, bro, it's crucial, and it is critical that he, you know, that um. Everybody who can um, combine forces, man, to call or whatever they can do and get that brother home now, because it's apparent that they're not going to give him the diet that he needs.
2: So, Mike, you know, again, like I was saying, you know, when we hear about these illnesses taking behind, taking place behind the walls and I'm not even I'm not even getting to the COVID-19 piece yet. I'm talking about the cancers, right. you know. It's not like people go into prison with those with those diseases. They contract them right. while they're in prison, um, and and we don't often hear enough about the role that the diet and the water plays in that. What would you, you know, tell us something about your experience and your struggles, you know, dealing with the food situation and the water situation behind the walls? Because we know that that's that's something that you didn't just accept. You know, you were fighting for better food and for cleaner water. And what were the results of some of those struggles?
5: Well, early on, uh, when we were down Holmesburg Prison and the sisters was down House Correction, uh, we were on trial for murder.
2: You'd, when you say the sisters, Mike, you're talking about the the, the, the women members of Move, Move 9. Right. Right.
5: Right. Um, at the time, it was the Move 9, plus it was other sisters there as well. Oh, okay. Other Move sisters there as well. Um, and we were in the middle of a preliminary hearing with Judge Martin Marshall, you know, with, you know, the diet, you know, you're going up to the seventh floor, they're trying to feed you these TV dinners and, you know, and, uh, when you go back to homes where, you know, they are giving you the various slop that they feed down there and, you know, it was intolerable to us, man. You know, we knew how we ate on the street. Um. Uh, because of, uh, you know, uh, us being made aware of the importance of diet by, you know, Moose found in John Africa. So we ate a lot of raw food. We exercised as much as we could um, and ate as clean as we could because it cleaned our system. Uh, Anyway, so they was feeding us this slop, So um, we insisted that, you know, the officials uh, deal with the situation of this uh, tainted food. So much so that they gave us, stopped the hearing, the, the murder trial hearing, and gave us a hearing on diet in which the uh, officials came in, the, se- secretary, uh, the w- secretary of prisons down there, um, the food manager down there, they all testified that it was impractical. But in the end, we got our diet and not just something that they prepared. They went to the food co-op in our neighborhood and bought us crates of almost everything we asked for.
2: Like, for example, you
5: know, and garlic, boxes of garlic, grapes, uh, onions, sweet potatoes, uh, white potatoes, um, apples, pears, all kinds of fruits and vegetables, man. And I mean, I'm not talking about canned fruits and vegetables. I'm talking about fresh food. And so much so that we had a, a our cell, not ourselves, a separate cell, containing all the boxes of foods and fruits and vegetables that uh, we won that case on. So, yeah.
2: Stop for a minute, Mike, because I think people need to understand this. We're talking about the jail system, the prison system, Holmesburg where they were allowing people to bring food to y'all from the streets that was grown in gardens, community gardens, right, co-ops, into the prison. And they were actually, they actually designated a cell for y'all to stock the food in. Right. And, and how many of y'all were able to make this happen?
5: There was 12 of us there. 12 moved people there. But of course, we had support on the outside. I moved folks on the outside. So, you know, they were calling, you know, they were concerned, they were in the courtroom when the hearing was going on, they testified, you know, at the hearing the about the importance of diet to us, you know, the importance of diet to everyone, you know, wasn't no small thing. So, and it wasn't that they allowed our folks to bring it up, they went and purchased it. But they then when you the co-op won 35th hmm. race and purchased all that food, uh, and they have community gardens, or a garden where they would group or grow some of the food, um, And uh, but it was all organic. It was all organic foods.
2: But after the case and y'all got up, after y'all were found guilty and sent up state, that was, that was done with, that was over. It was a uh, new yeah, struggle. One
5: of the brothers, one of our brothers, uh, Frank, africa who was one of the ones they murdered up at the osage avenue louise's son um he filed a suit because he ate nothing but raw and uh so almost you know everything they were serving except the you know a little bit of fruit they they served um is all he could you know all he would eat uh and at the time but um uh, he filed a suit trying to get his diet the same way we had down um, Holmesburg, down the county uh, but they uh, they struck it down they didn't they didn't let him have it so every since that time whenever we would then file another suit about it um, they would use that case against us even when they was giving almost everybody who who acts for a diet their diet under religious means or whatever you know but they kept on denying us move people um any uh any semblance of our you know a, a nutritional diet and it wasn't until the diet that i uh, was forced to eat that i became anemic in 2013 14 that um that they were forced to uh, then give me a better diet.
2: Yeah, I think Mike, it's important to 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 like just to, for people so people could understand the context of where you're coming from. Like, it's not just you know because people might, a lot of people in society might have decided well, you went to prison. You know, you're not you're not going in there to eat full course gourmet meals and stuff. You know, um, you know, you're in a prison. You know what I'm saying? What do you expect? But it's not where you're just talking about. Well, the food is is not prepared well, or or it's just sloppy. You're talking about the toxicity of the food. You're talking about the chemicals in the food, you're t- and and you're talking about the toxicity of the water. This is what you're talking about: the unhealthiness of it.
5: Uh, absolutely, uh, the water was horrendous. Uh, I, Ghana, you was up Huntington too,
1: right? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
5: And you probably recall that every time it rained up there. Um, like the, the faucets would stick, you know, so that if you turn the water on, the water might be on for three or four hours be, until a plumber came because it was so much sand and silt in that water system because it was coming from a creek. And that creek was so contaminated on an ordinary basis, but, but after it rained, it was really saturated with a lot of film, you know, so, so much so that it was stopping, you know. Water uh, clogging the toilets and uh, the spigots and stuff up there. Well, that's what we had to drink. Coming down Greater for the uh, staff won't drink that water at all.
2: I remember, I remember. Right? I so said.
5: this water, this water that they are afraid to drink, they are afraid to consume. That's all we're being served, and that's what they're cooking our foods.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: You know. So, you know, the great lengths we went to, to get other water. um, And it was, uh, you know, so if you have any, any kind of weakness in your system, you know, uh, like you said, immunocompromised, you know, that's, you know, it's gonna exacerbate whatever you have in your system and to fight off any illness, you need to be strong, man. You need your system not compromised, you know? And you see, we always ate that way ever since you, you know, every time, ever since anybody has seen us, you know, they see us being active, boxing, running, you know, uh, racquetball, which, you you know, we used to play. And, you know, we do the best we can in it, you know, but still, you know, um, 100% of the people, of our move people that was up Dallas, Got cancer, 100 of them, and two of them has died. And as I said, Chuck is battling it, you know, bat in a battle for his life right now. You know, and uh, Merle in 1998 of Muncie, and you know, um, anyway.
2: Let me say this uh, too, Mike: the, the water of Greater Ford, where we were at, um, one of the one of the, they they found out that that water was heavy with trichloroethylene. Absolutely. Or TCE, benzene, and chromium six—all carcinogens, right. Right? right? And the right. water was so bad that it attracted the attention of a famous environmentalist and they right. environmental justice activists. And they came up there and they did a, a big write-up on that in, in the Philadelphia Inquirer and um, the Montgomery County paper. Could you tell us about? About what came about after that, and your experience with the with the EPA agents and stuff coming to yourself.
5: All right. So what happened was one of Maroon's great friends and comrades, Kareem Howard. Um, I, I had a conversation with him uh, about the water up there, and you know, our battle with trying to get water, uh, and once the water was allowed in the jail, water that we could afford, because they were charging us $20 a case or a 24-bottle 20, case of water. That $20. costs like
2: three ninety-nine out here, right?
5: Exactly. And that was mm-hmm. 15 years ago that they were charging us $20 a case. You know, so they had these... Anyway, um, I had a conversation with Kareem. And uh, Kareem put this information, uh, the, the gist of this information on the, uh, out on the air, and it was about the water. And he was saying that, you know, our brothers, and sisters been up there since 1978, and they don't even have clean water to drink, man. They're not asking for this and that. And so, you know, they just asked for some clean water, you know, and it's a, it's a shame that they can't even get water you know, something has to be done about this. At the time, he was on the air with Pam, Africa, right? And, you know, they called giving him hell of You know, they called some folks on the street and, you know, that grew. So um, my son was the one who called uh, the office of Erin Rockledge and she got involved. She had the water somehow tested and came with the conclusion that you just recounted a few seconds ago about what that water contained while they were telling us, you know, when, well, what happened was after, as a result of that radio uh, spot that Kareem and Pam did, um, uh, they sent EPA up the, to myself, um, up in Greater Ford. So they came, you know, I didn't know they it was coming, you know, they knock on the door one day and it's too, EPA officials, two maintenance officials, and two guards. You know, and they come in and they test the water and shake, you know, put in a little vial and shake it up like, you know, they're doing some thorough tests. And they said the water was fine on the spot. You know, so the maintenance dudes left. And, you know, and then after that, my son called, you know, the office of Aaron Brockovich and she got involved. Okay. And she wrote that scathing report that uh, was in Anchor.
0: This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. We're going to take a quick station break. When we return, we will continue our special on Russell Maroon Schultz. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Sojourner Truth. If you've missed any part of this hour from 10 this morning, for 90 days after that, just go to kpfk.org, scroll down to archives, click on Sojourner Truth. You'll be able to hear the show in its entirety, and you could check us out on our website at sotrueradio.org. If you're a member of Facebook, you can look for us and friend us there, our handle on Instagram and Twitter. So True Radio. We're also on SoundCloud. Just go to the search bar and type in Sojourner Truth with Margaret Prescott to find us. And today, we'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Washington, D.C. And internationally, we would like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Spain. Now, we return to our special on Russell Maroon Schultz. During the second half of today's program, you will hear more presentations by a diverse panel of campaigners and a webinar entitled, We Are Maroon, a teaching for Russell Maroon Schultz. They include Ghani Songster of the Amistad Law Project, Mike Africa Sr. of the MOVE Organization, Dr. Jean Schneider and Robert Salim Holbrook of the Abolitionist Law Center and Lavinia V., a human rights campaigner and counselor. Let us hear from them now. When we're talking
2: about the incarcerated population, we're talking about a population of already immunocompromised people, it's just period, uh-huh. already, before even COVID-19. Hit. Whether you're over 65 or not, you're already immunocompromised from the diet, from the water, from the toxic land base that it's built on. Whether it's greater Ford, Mahanoi, Fayette, it's the same thing. I see Salim uh-huh. Nod, I know Salim no exactly what we're talking about you know what i mean and so when you're 65 or when you're 77 like maroon you know it's even worse you know it's even a more delicate and dire situation and mike just 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 one last piece i remember when you used to smuggle tomatoes and cucumber and carrots and stuff out of the kitchen at risk of losing not just your little prison slave job but being written up and thrown in the hole Used to smuggle that stuff out to get to Maroon when he got released from from the hole into population. He used to smuggle him fresh vegetables just to eat, right? And Maroon would tell me, "Go ahead, brother." No and Maroon would tell me, he said, "Man, tell Mike." He said, "Tell Mike." Thank you so much. I, if I could eat like this every day, I wouldn't eat nothing else. Right. It made him feel so good. And then what did he tell you when he saw you?
5: Uh, he, he said basically what you said, you know, and how good it made him feel and uh, how good it made his system feel, you know. And, and I'll tell you something, bro. It's, it's like. The little the little things I was getting, you know, wasn't a chore to, you know, the staff there. You know, uh, they wouldn't mind you taking certain things out. You know, you weren't trying to steal 10 hamburgers and all that kind of stuff. You know, they didn't mind you taking it because that was the kind of stuff they were throwing away anyway. So it wasn't like they couldn't give it to the population. You know, so they didn't mind you having a few things. You know, but my point is, is that that nourishment, the same way it made maroon feel, you know, is the same way it could have had, you know, the population feel you know, because they had enough of it too, sir. You know, and um, uh, one person I didn't mention uh, falling to uh, some of that same treatment is Mumia. You know, Mumia, you know, because of that diet also. Uh, And because he was uh, battling hep C, which he fought for and had everybody get, you know, the uh, vaccine for that stuff. You know? as usual, you know, when he come up with something they give, he's the last to get, it. you know, he's getting brothers off death row and they wouldn't put, they wouldn't take him off of there for another 25, 30 years, you know, yeah. but anyway, yeah, brother, that, that, uh, I was, uh I was honored to give Maroon, uh, those vitamins that much, much needed protein, that much needed uh shot of um something that he really needed, something that we all need, you know, and it's not a thing that it's uh um it's a favor that you're doing us, you know, and people for like you said, for the people who were saying, well they're up there in prison, uh what do they expect? You know, well we expect the same things you give your people when they're caught doing something. You know, you don't expect them to be tortured and uh, starved to death nutritionally, you know, so we don't expect anyone to be t- be treated that way. So, um, you know, we was fighting for this, but we have moved, we, 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 we've been fighting for this long before we even went to prison ourselves and became victims of the same type stuff because we knew what was going on, you know, and it behooves other folks, man, not, not to look at people, the way they want you to look at them, but look at them the way we should look at them with some humanity, man, and some care. And uh, yeah.
2: Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. Mike, we yeah. definitely gonna circle back. Go ahead, V.
4: Yeah, no, I was gonna say that's why it's so important for us what we're talking about and we're we're telling folks like, you know, Maroon has stage four cancer, and it has to do with the diet and the environment and being an elder these things are even harder on his body right now. And that's why we wanna bring in uh, Gene Snyder, uh, MD, who's a a family physician that serves older um, adults in West Philadelphia right now, um, and we want her to, to talk to us more about the COVID and exactly what it is so we can understand the seriousness that's happening right now with our elders, especially those that are incarcerated, our political prisoners, and, um, you know, the things that happens with the body. So, Jean, if you could talk to us um, a little bit about that. And thank you, you know, for making the time to come and speak with us on on a serious issue.
6: I'm honored to be here with you all. and. Um, and um, COVID's really been tearing through the prisons um, in a pretty serious way. And the, it's so difficult to social distance effectively in the prisons. Um, and we see that the, um, the risks are much more in older adults. So while some studies have shown that the, the case fatality rates are about 2% um, in general, that goes up to about 8% among people who are over 70. So there's a much ser- more serious risk for these older adults who are in these conditions where they just can't physically distance from each other effectively. Um, and you know, putting everybody in a gymnasium where there is not adequate sanitation and support and the things that they need to treat their, existing conditions, the things that they need as far as support for the existing conditions that that he was dealing with is not humane. Um, It's not medically appropriate, um, that he really should have access to um, what he needs for a a safe and sanitary situation. Um, And he should have access to his treatment um, and have treatment that's guided by his oncologists, um, that's really the the optimal care and is not unduly interrupted they've found ways for people to be able to um, get their get their treatment um, even um, even during COVID, that they're they're being cautious about that on the outside but there are ways that if people need to continue their treatment they're able to do that um, some of the things that covid can do to the body um, primarily there's the respiratory illness but it does cause other systemic effects so the respiratory illness is going to be Um, pneumonia um, and uh, respiratory failure in some cases, Um, but it also has effects on the heart and cause inflammation in the heart, heart rhythm problems. Um, It also has a um, systemic effect that um, favors the formation of blood clots, including blood clots in the legs that can travel to the lungs. something called pulmonary emboli, which is a pretty serious uh, situation. Um, and the risk for that is higher in people who have cancer. Um, it's already like a pro-coagulant state. Um, so those are some of the, the c- concerns that um, come up with COVID. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not Maroon's doctor and not his oncologist. And it's important that he has continuous effective access to that team. Um, and even after COVID, um, at two to three weeks, even for those people who aren't hospitalized, about a third of them, a well, little more than a third of them, still have some persistent symptoms. Um, and so, even though he's he's, um, so there there are things that um, we are coming to understand that there are um, more there is more potential for long-term sequelae even um, after making it through the the acute illness. Um, And that certainly doesn't affect everybody, but it does affect a substantial number of people. Um, Some of the things that they're doing, um, some of the things that they are doing for um, other congregate living settings, so situations where people are um, living together, need to be in close contact with each other, um, can't, um, can't necessarily social distance effectively, um, like nursing homes and where there are vulnerable older adults. Um, they the Center for Medicare Services actually requires testing of all staff um, and people in those settings, um, particularly um, and the frequency that they recommend is that if your county prevalence, so, or the county test positivity. So the number, the percentage of tests that are coming back positive as a county, if that's more than 10%, um, that staff members should be tested twice weekly. Um, and that doesn't sound like it's the thing that's been happening in the prisons, but people who are more deeply involved can, you know, uh, tell me more about what's what's actually been going on there. Um, and then I think that compassionate releases is, is seriously, um, underused and would be very appropriate for many of these these older adults who have medical conditions.
4: So again, because I I, I want people to understand and first to highlight, you know, some of the challenges that those who are suffering from COVID-19 and these other illnesses, diseases that they are being passed and given through food through, because we know for a fact, no one has left out and came into the community and contracted COVID-19 and then came back in. So that means that, you know, it's the staffs, the people, the workers that are bringing it in, and now you're contracting it. But what are the specific challenges that you may face, especially when you're part of the vulnerable uh, population as an elder, such as Maroon? What are some of the challenges that is facing now and you know you talked a little bit about the respiratory but what are some of the other things between the COVID-19 and having cancer as well and you know his body being impacted because of the food
6: so Mm -hmm. yeah I mean there's 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 the the blood clot risk um anemia is very common in in uh colon cancer as well and um and a diet that's low in iron um, doesn't help with that. Um, with, with colorectal cancer specifically, um, there are some um, associations that a high fiber diet, so all of those good vegetables that you brought out to him, um, as well as whole grains um, and nuts seem to have, um, seem to be associated with better outcomes. Um, and then processed meats um and cured meats seem to be um particularly uh strongly associated with worse outcomes um in terms of dietary factors and of course anyone drinking benzene is going to be very bad for them um and you know the the things that are specifically carcinogens are are really problematic
4: Um, so um I want to thank you for that and we, we don't want you to go anywhere because um, we want to you know talk with you a little bit more later on about, um, you know, just pushing forward and some of the things that we can do when it comes to helping with the health issues and then pushing to bring him home. Because in your personal opinion, would you say that it would be best for him to be released right now so we can take care of him and give him the care that he
6: needs? Yeah, I mean, given that he has a loving, supportive, like home to come to, that I have faith in your ability to make sure he has great continuity of care and, and gets connected with the best specialist when he comes out, I think that would be great. I think that is so necessary. And and truly I think one of one of the things that's just like fundamental to to caring for older adults is that you have, is that, like, at this point in life, you do have, like, certain rights to, to the self-determination about your body, and it's not appropriate um, to, be, um, to be, like, forced into a particular course of treatment that the decision-making should be shared decision-making um, so that you really have all the options before you um, and that you've got... Um, good support and and that you have a choice about um, where and with whom you want to spend um, spend this, this portion of your life. Thank you.
4: Um, okay, so next I want to bring in um, our brother Celine, but before we do, um, I want to read something to you that the UN said in response to the COVID crisis. They said, the UN human rights experts urged the United States government to reduce the population in places of detention to prevent large outbreaks of COVID-19 and ease the mountain pressure on staff and the penitentiary system as a whole. We call on the United States government to act now. Failure to take timely action may have far reaching consequences, they said. People in detention throughout the US are particularly vulnerable to COVID-19, and for many, their pre-existing medical conditions increase the risk of death. Of death, okay? That's what the experts noted. In these closed and often overcrowded places, basic protective measures, such as physical distancing and hygiene rules cannot be observed. Those at greatest risk should immediately be identified taking into account situations of vulnerability and release measures should be implemented. Despite some steps at the federal and state levels to reduce the population of people in custody, the government's response has been insufficient. Minorities, including African Americans, are disproportionately represented, both among the prison population and among those succumbing to COVID-19, Thus, any failure to effectively mitigate the resulting risk is also an issue of racial discrimination and racial justice of paramount importance. So this was what they said. And they also, this was just a short version. They also said, release political prisoners first. Those links will be at the bottom as well. So you can see as, as we go through and share you some things. And as you see on the screen, this is what's said. It's not our statements, the UN has said this, and they said, release political prisoners, release the vulnerable population. And that's what we're talking about right now, why it needs to happen. So I wanna go to uh, our brother, Salim Holbrook. And we wanna bring him in and we wanna talk about, you know, uh, how we could possibly make this happen. Um, going through bills, but we know it's going to take all of us working hard and putting this information out here. And uh, Brother Salim Holbrook is the executive director of the Abolitionist Law Center, so he's going to talk to us a little bit about um, some of the bills that you know the governor has talked about, has acted and not acted on. So, thank hey, you, Brothers. V.
3: Thank you, Hey, A. Hey, Sister V. What we do know is that that warning has gone unheeded by not only the United States, because our continued our political prisoners continue to be in prison, but also by Pennsylvania since October 15th, 30 prisoners have died in the state's department of corrections from COVID to give you a context prior to that, um, that is more than double the amount that died since March when COVID hit um, the prison system. So it shows that we're in an epidemic. And the response by the state has been one of just utter failure, Um, complete disregard for human life, a complete disinterest in human life and the pleas of family members of people um, that have loved ones in prison. Governor Wolf has the power to release people. He has the power of reprieve, which allows him to temporarily release people from terms of incarceration. He's not using it. He was given a list of over 1,600 prisoners that could be eligible for release back in June, and he released less than 200 of them. What's really unfortunate about that list is that list was not based on vulnerable populations. That list was not based on who needs to be released, because if that was the case, people like our elder, Russell Maroon Schultz, would be at the top of that release, someone who is 77 years old, battling stage four cancer, and just recently contracted COVID, and has been in prison for over 50 years. He should be at the top of any reprieve lease, along with Mumia Abu-Jamal, and hundreds and thousands of other prisoners who constitute a vulnerable population within the Department of Correction—that that is people who are over the age of 65 and people who have autoimmune disorders. But this population is not eligible for release because the victims advocate office, the Pennsylvania District Attorneys Association, and what I would like to call the lobby for mass incarceration, um, which is now a death lobby, is keeping people in prison and blocking not just reprieve, but they're blocking legislative um, bills that could bring this population home. New Jersey released over 2,000 people less than two weeks ago who were vulnerable. And they did it not only for people who were vulnerable, but they did it to create space in the prison because look you can't social distance in prison it's impossible to social distance in prison so prisons are essentially just one big incubator i don't want to use the term death trap but they potentially are so the governor has this power of reprieve but he has not exercised it and that is something that we are demanding and we are going to demand be demanding that in the media we're going to be demanding that through direct action and we're going to be demanding that through whatever means that we have one of the things that families of prisoners did and advocates across the state was set a uh, set of demands to not only governor wolf but also the state legislature and the department of corrections these demands can be found at decarcerate pa slash covid demands and it could also be found on several um social media pages like Human Rights Coalition, Abolitionist Law Center, Let's Get Free, Amnestad Law Project. Um, but these demands are asking Governor Wolf to release people from prison in order to save lives, use his executive power. Listen, he has the power to wake up tomorrow morning and reprieve anyone he wants in the Department of Corrections. I'm going to repeat that. He doesn't have to get anyone else's approval. He can wake up tomorrow morning and issue reprieve. These are temporarily releases, right? But we want people to be home. So we'll deal with the temporary nature of the reprieve. Exercise your authority. That's what we are demanding. Because he can't use the excuse, I can't do it. You, you can't use that excuse now. You have the that the absolute authority. We're asking him to sign all commutations and expedite commutation hearings. They're asking him to expand expedite compassionate release. It is. It is inconscionable that in order for Russell Maroon Schultz to be eligible for compassionate release, he has to get a death diagnosis. He has to have a a doctor diagnose him and saying he's going to die within a certain amount of months. That is the only way he could even be eligible. I'm going to repeat that. Not be released for compassionate release, but just to be eligible for compassionate release. He has to have a death letter. That is unacceptable. We ask him for that to be changed we are asking for access to essential services health care mental health treatment for the population and to pursue any other me- measures including medical furlough to-, furlough to release as many elderly pr- people as possible we're also asking for him to mandate that prison guards prison staff wear the m ninety eight ninety five surgical mask as part of their uniform that when they come in they must wear this because guards right now are wearing make america great uh uh mass they're wearing just flimsy coverings over their faces doing nothing they should have those masks as essential workers have those masks within the department of corrections we're asking the pa legislature to afford parole eligibility to all elderly prisoners to enact widespread sentencing reduction and we're asking the doc that during the time of, of uh, uh, epidemic they should expedite parole um, recommendation and that there should be transparency. And most importantly, cause I'm going to close with this again, I'm asking ask people to, to search for those demands on decarcerate PA.info slash COVID demands, as well as social media platforms like the abolitionist law center, human rights coalition, let's get free Amistad law Project. But we are also asking to, in addition to Russell Maroon's immediate release, we're also, also asking that the state include prisons in their daily updates about covid in pennsylvania when they do that every morning when the doctor comes out and says this is what's happening in the state we want people in prison we want that to be reported what's going on in prisons? the rates, the amount of people who are 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 quarantined the amount of people who have died the amount of people who are, are infected and more importantly we don't want them referred to as inmates we want them referred to as residents within correctional facilities so uh, thank you for giving me that space um i hope i didn't take up too much time but again please go to those demands um lift them demands up on your platform
0: we're out of time i'd like to thank all of the speakers featured in today's show as well as the Schultz family for allowing us to share This audio with you. I would like to thank the Sojourner Truth team, Romero Funes, our assistant producer, and today's audio engineer. If you'd like a copy of today's show, you can contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at 1-800-735-0230 or go online to Archives.org. Remember to visit our website, SoTrueRadio.org, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, our handle at SoTrueRadio. Radio. Thank you for listening. This is your host, Margaret Prescott, and y'all please stay safe.